Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Good morning, Met Church. How are we doing this morning? Aren't we glad that even though technology fails us sometimes, we serve a God who is always working? Amen? I need you with me this morning, okay? So um, I have been in situations before with friends, and as I'm talking to them, and I'm listening to their story, and they are telling me something that I think is just really crazy, and they're telling me how they handled the situation I'm looking at them in the eye and I'm listening, but all I can think is my head, in my head is, why are you the way that you are? <laughs> Anybody ever done that with a friend? I've even gone so far as to when really close friends tell me crazy things, I will stop in the middle and I will actually say those words. Why are you the way you are? This morning, uh, I'm gonna ask us to ask ourselves that same question. Why am I the way that I am? I heard a philosophy from a pastor a couple years ago that I've kind of taken on because it seems to, to run true in most situations. But there are four things in someone's life from when they were younger and to however old you are now that really affects the way you are. It really affects the way that you handle situations, um, that you respond certain ways, um, and these four things are this, and this is good. If you want to use this, you can, because it wasn't mine. Um, trauma, drama, daddy, mama. Now think about that for just a second. In most situations in your life, you can tie it back to why am I the way that I am? Because something traumatic, dramatic, or your relationship with your dad and your mom really affected who you are to this day. It could affect you in a negative way. It could be a bad situation that turns you to have certain feelings and thoughts about certain scenarios that makes you negative or respond in a negative way. But you could also have something bad that happened in your life or a bad relationship that you had with your dad and mom that actually turned out that you were like, I'm never gonna let that influence me and change me to be like that. I'm gonna be different. So I thought about this more and I thought about, yes, those things are important but actually who we are started from when you were born in your nature. See, you and I, when we were born into this world, we were born into a broken world and we, were, we came into this world as sinners. We have a sinful nature. And I know that's hard to really grasp um, because you think, well, babies, all they do is eat, sleep and poop. I mean, how are they really sinners? And, and what really helped me grasp this is when I had my first child. And so I remember that I'm sitting in the living room and I'm with my son, Ezra. He's our firstborn. And he was probably around the age of two. And we're in the living room. My wife, I don't, she's, I don't know, she's not there. So it's just me and him. And he's playing with this glass that's on the table. And I say, hey, son, you, stop. You can't play with that because that glass could break and then glass would go everywhere and you would cut yourself. I just want you to be safe. So I need you not to mess with that. You good with that? Shook his head. I wanted to make sure he understood. So I continued and I said, Ezra, um, 
I really need you to understand this. If you play with that, it could really hurt you. So you're not gonna play with it, right? And he said, right, yes, dad, I'm not gonna play with it. Okay, awesome. So I had to go get something from our, my room. I was like, hey, I'll be right back. And as I turned the corner, like a good dad, I thought I would turn back and I would look to see if he's actually gonna do what he said he wasn't gonna do. So I'm peeking around the corner. I can tell he doesn't think I'm there. So what does he do? He plays with the glass. He starts messing with it. And I'm like, okay, man, we just had this. And I, I'm like, but he's two, I get it. You know, it's not a big deal. And so I was like, all right, I'm gonna come back into the room. And so I wanted him to know I was coming back in. So I started stomping my feet, hitting the wall to make sure he could hear me. And I walk back in and he acts like he's doing something else. And I say, Ezra, did you play with the glass that I told you not to? Without hesitation, looked me straight in the eye and said, no. <laughs> I said, no, are, are you sure, buddy? I want to give him another chance. Are you sure that we talked about this? Did you play with this glass when I left? No, I didn't. And that's when it hit me. My first job as a father, and I was a failure. And, you know, he was cute and adorable. Um, and let me show you what I was working with. Yeah. That's right, a liar. I was working with a liar. <laughs> See, you and I, um, just like Ezra, we have a sinful nature. These things come natural to us because I didn't teach Ezra this. I mean, at night when I would read in bedtime stories, we'd look at his picture Bible. I wouldn't close the Bible and say, son, now it's time to learn how to be a deceiver. And we were looking for a preschool I didn't go searching for new creation for big fat liars. I mean, I, I didn't teach him this. It was who he was, just like it is who I am. It was his nature. And because of our sinful nature, we have sin in our life that separates us from God. It separates us. It keeps us away from the God who created us and loves us. But God saw that. And he sent Jesus to the earth, God in flesh. And he took all of our sin that you and I deserve to, to die, right? To pay the price for. He took it on his shoulders. He went to the cross and he died for our sinful nature. He died for our sin. So now you and I have the choice. We can walk in salvation. We now can walk in victory. And here's what's great about God, you and I don't have to come to him with it all together. We don't have to clean up, shape up, or straighten up. We just have to believe he is who he says he is, and he did what he says he did. We see it in Romans 10, verse nine, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you and I, once we make a decision to, to walk in Christ, to give our faith, put our faith in Jesus, we're done, right? No, Jesus came to give us life and to give us life to the fullest. So as a follower of Christ, each year as you get older, you also should grow in your faith and be stronger and stronger in your faith. And what happens is when you do that, you begin to see God differently you begin to see him bigger. And there's a, a perfect picture of this um, by C.S. Lewis. Anybody love the Chronicles of Narnia? Prince Caspian, 
And there's a conversation between Aslan and Lucy, the youngest of the kids. And the kids have been gone a while. They haven't been in Narnia. And so what happens when you're not in Narnia is you age, you grow. And so she comes back, she sees Aslan and here's the conversation. Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you were older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, I am not. Listen to what he says. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. It happens with us too. Each year that we grow in our faith, that we take our faith more serious, we begin to see God differently. We begin to understand him differently than we did when we were younger. We begin to see him bigger. And what this does, it doesn't just affect me and myself. It doesn't just affect you and yourself. When this happens in your life and you begin to see God bigger, it begins to affect everyone around you. This happened in the 70s. This happened with a few people and what they called the Jesus Revolution. There's a movie that just came out. It was on the cover of Time Magazine. And I wanna read you the article that was in Time Magazine because I think it's very interesting how it describes this revolution. It says, Jesus is alive and well and living in the radical spiritual fervor of a growing number of young Americans who have proclaimed an extraordinary religious revolution in his name. Their message, the Bible is true. Miracles happen. God really did so love the world, he gave his only begotten son. Bibles abound whether in the cherished fur-covered King James Version or scruffy back pocket paperbacks, they're invariably well-thumbed and often memorized. There is an uncommon morning freshness about this movement a buoyant atmosphere of hope and love along with the usual rebel zeal, but their love seems more sincere than a slogan, deeper than the fast-feeding sentiments of the flower children. And what startles the outsider is the extraordinary sense of joy they are able to communicate. This all started because of, in the heart of a pastor of a small church in California, Chuck Smith, he met a Jesus-loving uh, hippie named Lonnie Frisbee. And with the two of them, there was a small group of young people who were hungry to know who Jesus was and what they could do to live a life for him. And their flames started small, but it got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it caught fire with many young people in the U.S., and you may say, well, this is the 70s. It was all about love and peace. And a lot of people were on drugs. They would accept anything. But I want you to see the cover of Time Magazine just three years before this one. It says, is God dead? See, I don't know where you are in your faith this morning. I'm sure with a room this size, there's people who are still trying to figure who this Jesus guy is. And there's some of us that have been followers of Christ for many, many years. But I need to ask you this morning in your life, is God dead? And you may say, no, I love Jesus. I come to church. I, I do what I think is right. I want you to think about every area of your life or there areas of your life where God seems dead. And if so, the question is, do you want revival? 
Do you want revival in your life? And the bigger question is, are you willing to do what it takes to have it? What is the cost of revival? We have been looking in our series, Revival, at the verse 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and we're gonna be there again this morning. So if you have your Bible, please go and turn there. If you have it on your phone, that's awesome. If you can read, you're good, because it's gonna be up here. If not, I'm gonna read it. So we, we got all areas covered this morning. It says this, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, If my people, this is God's people, who were called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. See, what we need to look at this morning in this verse is two different things. You have the condition and you have the promise. The condition is on you and me. It's on us. If we wanna see this promise of God, there are a few things that we have to do. And here's what it is. The condition is this. If you're taking notes, you should be able to write it in there. God's people in humility, three things. Pray, seek his face. And something we're gonna talk about more today is turn from their wicked ways. Now, uh, Pastor Bill and I laugh about this because it seems like every time I get to preach, I get to preach on a fun, something fun. So we did, um, you know, the Beatitudes. And which one did I get? The one about mourning. Yeah, real fun. Uh, and then we get to do this series and Pastor Bill is talking about, he gets to talk about pray and seek his face. And what do I get to talk about? Turn from your wicked ways, you sinners. <laughs> Thanks, Pastor Bill. So the condition God's people in humility must pray, seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. This is on our part. This is what we need to do in order to see this promise of God. And what is the promise? It's also three things. Then he will hear us. He will forgive us our sin and he will heal our land. He will send revival. See, the great promise of answered prayer also includes the condition of repentance. Us turning from our sins and turning to God. And I realize um, this was written to a specific people group. This was written to God's people a long time ago. But here's what's great is that these promises are based on eternal principles of God's character, which never changes. So that means the same promise that he gave them is the same promise that we can hold true today. Here's some principles of God, of his character. The first one is this, he will not turn his face from you if you return to him. So no matter where you are in your faith, Maybe you gave your life to Jesus when you were little and you've just kind of been doing your own thing and you feel like you have ran far away from God, that there's a big gap in between you and him. Here's his promise. If you were just to turn from your sin, turn from your way, turn back to God, guess whose face is gonna be there? His. He's never gonna deny you. He's never gonna turn away from you. If you go towards Jesus, he's not going to turn away. It reminds me of the old couple 
Um, they had this old truck that they had for many, many years and they would still drive it around town. And the husband is in the driver's seat. The wife is in the passenger seat right next to the door. And it was a single cab pickup. And as they're going, she says, hey, what happened? He says, what do you mean? He's like, I remember when we first got married, we had the same truck and we would go driving around. We'd go on dates, we'd do all these things and we would sit right next to each other. And you would play with my hair. You would scratch my back while you drove. You would, you would kiss me on the cheek at a stoplight. You would hold my hand when you drove the truck. It was just so sweet. But what happened now, we don't even sit by each other. And he looks at her and he says, I'm not real sure what happened, but I've never moved my seat. See, that's what happens with us and God. A lot of times we feel like, man, God is moving, but no, God never moves. He's, he's there. He stays in that driver's seat. He's right there. It's us that turn and go away from God. But even if that's the case this morning, all we have to do is turn back to him and he will never turn his face on you. But not only is that available, here, here's another character promise of God that happens. When we do that and we realize we're far away, we turn and come back to him, it happens quicker than you think because when you draw near to him, guess what he does? He draws near to you. That gap closes quickly because God wants a relationship with you. He wants that closeness with you. You are his child. He is your father. He doesn't want to have that space. He wants to be there to embrace to love, to guide, to give you wisdom. He longs for that. So 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. It's such an important verse because it is a sure road to restoration. Not only restoration, it is a sure road to revival, not just for the time when this was spoken to God's people back then. This is a truth for all times. If the conditions are met, the promise is fulfilled. So I've lived in my neighborhood for almost two years now. And when we moved in, one thing that I noticed is that people really, really, really take care of their yards. No pressure on me, right? I've always had the philosophy, I'll, I'll mow it, I'll water it once a year. You know, grass is not that important to me. I have more important things to worry about. But when I moved in this neighborhood, we had to step our game up. So what did a responsible man do? I hired a mowing company to make sure this is gonna happen on a weekly basis. My wife, she'll plant flowers. They die in a month, but we plant more later. But we really felt like we had to step up our game. So this year, people are starting to get ready and they're starting to mow. And so I get the guy to come out, right? Cause I'm not going out there. So he comes and he mows and it's looking nice. And out of our whole block, there is one house that has said, no, thank you. I'm not gonna mow. And it's not just that they have high grass. Um, and if you're here this morning, you know I'm talking about you. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're not here, trust me. Okay. Um, they, hey, they don't mow their grass. They're not, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. And they have major weeds. Like we had our daughter run over to stand by one of the weeds just to see how tall it was. Almost taller than her. Okay. So it's really bad. And um, I, I'm sitting there on Friday and I'm going through this message and I hear the angels of the Lord and it sounded like a lawnmower. 
And so I go and I peek out the window and sure enough, he hired the same company that I hired. <laughs> but the grass is getting mowed and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm excited. Y'all, this really bothered me more than it should. And so I'm sitting there and I'm excited and I'm like, this is what I said. I said, thank you, Lord. And here's what I heard. Like inside, right? I heard, now you can worry about your own weeds. <laughs> and I don't have weeds in my grass. So I know God was talking about me and my life. And here's the problem that I have. And I think a majority of us have is that we're more worried about the weeds in other people's lives than we are the deep rooted weeds that are in our own lives. And so I started thinking about this more and I thought about this verse and here's what this verse tells us is it's not enough to merely turn our hearts to God. We must also turn our lives to God, which means we need to remove some big weeds that are in our lives. The first thing we need to understand if we wanna see revival is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. It starts with me. It starts with me. Now, I heard from God twice, like very clearly this week. And the other one was when I got in my car on Thursday. So it starts with me, right? And I turn the car on, I'm going to work, and then my radio's on. And it's some preacher, I don't know who it is, but as soon as I turn it on, this is what he says. He says, you wanna see revival in our country? It starts with you. And I already had this written down. And I'm like, all right, Lord, I get it. I got, I got to make sure that I do this. And so it starts with me. Revival is God's finger pointing at you. It's like when um, you're out with friends and you've been at dinner or something for hours and you get back to your car and you look in the mirror and you realize that you have food on your face, something in your teeth or a bat in the cave. You know what I'm talking about? And not one person said anything to you all night and you know it was there all night. And then you start to question who are your friends? Because you've had this happen too, where you've had something like that going on here, here, or here. And somebody said, hey, you got something right there. And you wipe it, you get it off. And what do you think? That's my real friend, right? So this morning, I want you to be a true friend to yourself. Nobody knows you besides God better than you know yourself. And so here's what I want you to ask um, yourself is, because it's tough. This is a tough one. Um, where in my life have I turned from God? Where in my life do I have weeds? Where in my life do I have areas that I just don't think about, I don't mess with, um, because I know that if I get God involved, things are gonna change. Um, what areas are those? What should you change in your life? What needs to be changed? What wrongs have to be made right? What offenses need to be addressed? What attitudes need to be changed? In those areas that we're talking about, where is God missing? So I thought I would just, um, I'm just gonna throw some areas of life out to you. I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to yell out, yeah, that's me. Okay, don't do anything like that. I just want you to internally think through, is God in this in my life? Okay, here we go. Family, parenting, marriage, finances, job, time, 
your priorities. Is God, and that's just a few, but is God in those? Are those weeds, are those things that you need to really think through and think about? And if you're asking, how do I know whether God's in that or not? Well, if, if those areas of life, when you have to make a decision, do you ask, what does God want in this? Or do you ask, what do I want in this? Because that should tell you um, who gets first priority in those areas, which leads us to our second point, because even though it starts with me, it's not about me. Luke 9, 23 says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. We need to deny ourselves in order to follow what Christ wants for our life. Why is that? Well, it's because we can't follow our heart. Why? Because the Bible says that our heart is deceiving. We can't follow our emotions. Why? Because our emotions change about 400 times a day. So what should we follow? We should follow God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He never changes. He's always steady. He's always, he always is who he said he's always been. We need to follow him. And it's interesting in this verse where it talks about take up your cross and follow me. It's some imagery that we need to think about. Um, think about this. When somebody in Jesus's day was carrying a cross, what was about to happen to them? They were about to be crucified. They were walking to their death. So for us, every morning we wake up to picture carrying a cross means we are telling ourselves, okay, I'm, this is not about me. I'm gonna deny myself. I'm gonna deny my selfish ambition so that I can live for God's glory. Die to self. J. Barton Payne, he's a professor and theologian. He said this, those who believe must forsake their sins, turn from the life that is centered in self and yield to God's word and will. Then and only then will heaven send revival. Let me show you a picture um, in the Bible of a carrying your cross moment. And it's, it's, it's John the Baptist. And I don't know, I love John the Baptist. He's one of my favorite people from the Bible. I don't know if it's because I think I may look like him a little bit. I don't know what it is, but I love John the Baptist. And if you don't know who John the Baptist was, John the Baptist, his whole purpose of his life was to come before Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus coming and what he was about to do. And so he was doing ministry. Um, he was loving on people. He was doing a lot of amazing things. He was baptizing people. And then he had followers. And then all of a sudden Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus is starting to baptize people. And what happens is some of his guys, some of his crew begin to notice that Jesus is doing this and they start to question it. They're like, John, what's going on? Like I thought we were doing this. And now people are starting to go past us to go to Jesus and get baptized over there. This is a carry your cross moment. Because this could be for John, you know what, you're right. Let's get people to come more over here, but this is not what he does. What he says is so impactful. He says, guys, this is not about us. Do you know why I'm here? I'm here to prepare the way for that guy. 
You're saying people are going over there to get baptized and they're going past me. You know what that does for me? That brings me great joy. And then he says something um, to these guys and it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I think it's something that, that we need to hear. I need to hear this morning. And it's John 3.30. He tells them this, he must increase and I must decrease. Our lives, he's saying our lives need to be less about us and what we want and more about what Jesus wants, what God wants for our lives. What in our lives is gonna point people to Jesus? Because that's what it's all about. If we have not him, we have not anything. How bad do we really want revival? I think if we were to ask that question, most of us would say, I wanna live a revived life. I wanna live a life on fire for Jesus. I wanna live a life that's different. I wanna live a life that experiences all that God has for me. But are we willing to do what it takes to actually live that life? I heard a quote a couple of weeks ago and I've been thinking about it a lot. And it's interesting because it's not from the Bible. It's not from a theologian or a preacher. Um, it's actually from Einstein. And he says this, never lose a holy curiosity. And so I thought about that more. And so I, I thought about it. I thought I would ask you these questions. When it comes to holy curiosity, aren't you just a little curious of what a life of God's best looks like? Aren't you just a little curious of what a life filled with more of Jesus and less of you actually looks like? A life that is focused more on him and what he wants actually looks like? And aren't you just a little bit curious of what, an ex what it looks like to experience a life that is rooted in revival. Because I'm telling you, it looks different. It looks different for me and it looks different for you than what mostly our day-to-day -day lives are. And it's what God wants for us. Because if you're just a little bit curious, I want you to know that the proof of desire is in your pursuit. Are you willing to do what it takes to experience God's best in your life? Not, not just in a few areas, but in every area. God is complete. He doesn't lack. The life that he has for you is complete. It, it doesn't lack areas that don't have him in it. So this morning, I wanna encourage you to pursue more of Jesus in your life. Give him controls of areas that maybe you have kept him away from. And to do these three things, to pray, to seek his face, and to turn from your sinful ways. And when you do, the promise will be fulfilled. And that promise is for revival. So as you go, I want you to write down, if you haven't already, I want you to write down two verses that I'm gonna encourage you to read every morning this week. The first one being John 3.30. He must increase I must decrease. Write that down because I want you to read it 
eat, I mean, this would be really, if you could do it every day um, of the year, this would be awesome just to kind of get you ready for the day. And then the second one I want you to write down is this verse that I'm about to read to you, but it's Ephesians 3, verse 16 through 19. And I thought that we would end a little different. Um, I'm gonna pray for us, but I'm gonna pray over us um, this scripture that was written to the church of Ephesus. And it is a prayer. And instead of you closing your eyes and maybe snoozing off, I don't want you to do that. I want you to just look at the screen and just read it as I pray it over you. And something I wanna encourage you to do is not only to read John 3.30, but I want you to pray this prayer, just read it every day this week, because I think it's very encouraging and very inspiring and tells you what, what God wants to do in your life. So let me pray um, and then we'll be dismissed. Pray with me. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this, love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.